I actually feel like working with your beliefs and working with your limiting beliefs is um, also has kind of a deeper kind of it's it's a movement toward mm-hmm. liberation, right? Like, and that's I know that that's what I'm interested in, both for myself, uh, but for my people and for the the collectives mm. that I work with, right? Like liberation, right? Like liberation from all kinds of bondage, even if those bondages are in your head, right? And so this kind of limiting belief work, yes, allows strategic work to happen, but it actually liberates people individually and collectively. And that feels like a bit of deeper work that we don't often, frankly, talk to clients about, but I believe to be true. If you're not doing beliefs work, if you're not going deep in your work, I don't think you're going to see change. Mm-hmm. Simple as that, you know. Mm-hmm. You can do as much reorganizing and restructuring <laughs> and rebudgeting as you want, but yeah. none of it's going to lead to anything significant that's going to make any difference to anybody because people's beliefs will win. They'll conquer. You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart. And I'm Tim Merry. This week on Find the Outside, the podcast, we're talking about limiting beliefs. Those beliefs that you have that keep you from being all that you can be. Oh, look, I sound a little... Wasn't that a, a slogan in the 80s? Like, be all you can be or something? <laughs> just <laughs> do it. Did you have that That's in England? I just go to just do it. I just, I just can't help it. <laughs> We had we had, we had uh, the future's bright, the future's clear, the future's orange. That was one of ours, and that was for like a, a mobile mobile phone network. Remember that one? And and orange was a positive thing. Yeah, I mean, it was just like I don't know why I even remember that, you know? Huh? Honey nut loops, let's loop together. That was another one. I sing that to my kids, but they don't call them honey nut loops here. They call them. Uh, uh, honey Nut Cheerios or something? Oh yeah, Honey Nut Cheerios. I I now realize that Be All You Can Be was an army slogan, Tim. Ooh, there you go. Yeah, it was Be All You Can Be in the army, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa. Who'd have thought that? Sometimes you just pull, you know, just pull things from deep, huh? Right, <laughs> it's true. Did you ever consider the forces? Were you ever, was that ever? Oh, do you know? No, not, not oh. seriously in any way, but... Um, I, my uncle who was, you know, I don't know, cause I don't know the ranks, but he got quite high up in the army, really nice. strongly suggested that I consider it because of course, in my family, that was a way to get to school. And so it was oh, kind of like, right. you know, if, if you want to go to college, this is a real way. And so he talked with my mom about that being a possibility. Um, and so I, I don't know that I ever really considered it, but it was certainly in my awareness that that was a way to get an education. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. I was signed up for the Royal Marines Officer Corps at uh, what? twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Signed up, and then uh, and then my eyesight went, and uh, and uh, and they told me that I'd only be able to drive a lorry, and that wasn't exactly what I had in mind as a twelve-year-old boy joining <laughs> the Royal Marines. I, mean, like, I used to watch shows on it. I knew all the aeroplanes. I had books on it and all kinds of stuff. My dad had Tim. been in the navy. My you know my both granddads had been in had had been in the army. You know, kind of spies. One and then one had been a um. Uh, uh, kind of like co- colonial police commissioner, and and uh, and then you go back, and we've got, I've got pictures. I've got pictures of about four generations of my family in uniform as officers. Uh, uh, I mean, I feel like I understand. That. I'm sorry, like that leaves me slightly speechless. At twelve? Yeah, yeah, I was all signed up, ready to go. Yeah. What does that even mean that twelve year olds can decide they want to be in the military? Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I. Uh, 
I think it's a product of my class and I would say it's a product of my education, which is, you know, mm-hmm. these, these boarding schools and prep schools in the UK were set up to create colonial administrators and army officers yeah. and lawyers. And they were set up to, you know, create obedient, um, non-empath- non-empathetic, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? You, you know, institutionalized leaders, right? Yeah. And uh, so that's what they were set up to do. It was just kind of like an, you know, it was just like an obvious option, if you like, you know? Cool. Yeah. But I mean, the, not at all cool, I, but it's just like, just that the, is, I, I, I love learning that about you. Right. I no and uh, I remember sitting down with my dad because I was big into theater as well. Right. I was studying theater. I wanted to be, also be an actor and a director. And like it, it mm-hmm. felt like it totally split my personality. And I remember sitting down yeah. with my dad who had been in the Navy and being like, you know, can I do theater in the Royal Marines? Or like, is there like a theater core? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and him being like, oh, I'm sure there is, son. Yes, absolutely. Like, anyway, there probably was, you know, but it okay. wouldn't have been quite. Oh, the, I'm sure. But it wasn't Stephen Burkoff or Bertolt Brecht, you know, uh, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it was. Maybe the Royal Marines do have a branch doing Stephen Burkoff. I somehow doubt it. Anyway. Probably not. But all of those things. Well, you know, and actually it's quite, it's an interesting bit. I mean, come with me. I'm going to take a little bit of a leap. But yeah, it's yeah, an it. interesting way to get into our topic today, which is around limiting beliefs. And often mm-hmm. when I'm talking with people about limiting beliefs, right? So, you know, I talk about how important it is to, you know, look at your beliefs. And I think that's true. And we'll probably talk about that in just in a moment. But one of the first things I do is I ask people to think of something that they once believed that they no longer believe. Yeah. Right. And so just thinking about you, like wanting to go into, you know, the Royal Marines, right? Like that was, it had all sorts of beliefs around it. You know, I want to be this kind of person or I am, maybe even I am this kind of person, Mm. right? And so often, you know, we so identify with what we believe that we don't even notice them as thoughts. Mm. They're just kind of like who we are. Mm. But if you stop for a moment, all of us have moved past some beliefs that we held dear at some point in our life. Every single person. I mean, things like, uh, at one point, we all believed, uh, I love that person so much I could never live without them, yeah. right? Like we held that really strongly or I would never do that kind of work or I would never work with those kind of people. Like we all have kind of these beliefs that we've moved through is just kind of a, a really natural part of our life as part of maturing, as part of growing up, right? But somehow when we get to adults, like it's like, nope, this is what I believe, right? So much so that we don't even question it. Right. It just begins to constrain our life. Yeah. When we were talking the other day, we were doing a uh, kind of like a mini keynote at, um, at a, a conference here in Nova Scotia. And you said something really funny. And uh, one of it was like, you know, often the people who believe they're innovators <laughs> actually aren't our well, innovators. Well, it's true. And there was another one you said, which was a bit more, a bit more personal. Well, what was it? It was that when people tell you they, they're laid back, yeah. they never are. <laughs> They never, it's just like, that's it. It's that's one the of those, one. I was like, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. That was the one They made the whole room laugh. Right. Like that is yeah. true though. If somebody tells you they're laid back, you're like, you just know they are tightly wound. Like that is not <laughs> laid back. People don't go around saying I'm laid back. No, they just are. No. So, I mean, I, you know, that, that little story is true though, you know, so the limiting beliefs, I totally, uh, you know, grew up thinking that the 
army was and the royal marines in particular was like the ideal job for me you know i actually gave a presentation mm, just to fully own this i gave a presentation at one point when i was 12 years old about why i didn't think women should be allowed into the royal marines as an example of another <gasps> yeah no no i'm not i'm a whoa I'm a product of my circumstance my friend and uh, yeah um, right on uh, in lots and lots and lots of ways and uh and then uh you know i kind of moved beyond that told i couldn't be in the royal marines and like by f- by 14 15 i was kind of like a complete pacifist you know uh you know almost socialist billy bragg was my idol do, do you know what i mean like <laughs> ran for school office as uh you know for the labor candidate in english mm. public school and um, anyway and uh, on billy bragg quotes i just don't, I don't think anyone even noticed me to be honest i just remember standing on the stairs <laughs> everyone just walking by <laughs> yeah and then uh and then uh, you know and then kind of moving to the other side of that now you know raised by a mum who's a quaker right so like you know the, the, yeah. the pacifism and and like peace as a path forward was strong, was strong from my mum. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my dad was a military man. So I was like oscillating between parents. And then, and then at a point now where, you know, I prefer peace, but I can understand that there are circumstances that may demand violence, you know, and like, mm-hmm. and like, and who knows, maybe that belief's going to change next week. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But like, just like right there, there's a little track of like how these beliefs shift over time and shift in response to the kind of evolution of our circumstances, of the people we're talking to, of the lives we're in. Um, But we often treat these things like they're solid. You know, we treat these things like they're truths. Right. Mm -hmm. And become incredibly attached to them. And, uh, and, 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 and And I think what we find in our work is this attachment to beliefs, right, about, uh, the other people sitting in the room with us, the organizations we're mm-hmm. working with, the solution, right, that needs to be put in place. Like people go to go to battle <laughs> on these beliefs mm-hmm. as if uh, they were truths, right? But actually they're just a little piece of the puzzle, right? They're just a piece of the tapestry that helps us understand the circumstance so we can make a smarter choice about where we go. Mm-hmm. And so um, so there is this whole, I think a lot of, you know, we talk about beliefs as limiting because we spend a lot of our lives mm-hmm. and our work loosening them up, right? Don't right. We? Right. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like that's, um, it's, it's not an outcome that we can state in our work, but it's often, it isn't both an outcome and it what's, what it's what makes the work possible. Mm. It's actually what makes people be able to think differently and think differently enough about their circumstance to to act differently, to think differently enough about each other that they can actually come into some kind of relationship to get work done. It actually feels uh, foundational to the work that we do, even though I know that we don't necessarily talk about that all of the time. But this idea of kind of loosening up from your beliefs. I, rem- I remember like the first time I read on a bumper sticker, don't believe what you think. Right. I was like, what the... Is that even, like, huh? what does that even what? mean? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I got to think about that. <laughs> but it, right? Like, yeah. oh, it's yeah. just like, it's so, you know, beliefs not only become, you know, like what comes out of, you know, like the chemical processes of our brain, but they become like what 
what we identify as who we are. And like, again, that's what you're saying, you know, like people go to war for their beliefs because it's not about shifting a belief, but it's about who they very much are. And so, you know, this idea and so why we bring it in, I mean, it's a key part of our work, right? Is working with limiting beliefs. It's a key part of the design work that we do. And it feels to me that in some ways, and I don't know how you'll feel about this, but working with them is, is yes to get strategic work done. But I actually feel like working with your beliefs and working with your limiting beliefs is um, also has kind of a deeper kind of, it's it's a movement toward mm-hmm. liberation, right? Like, and that's, I know that that's what I'm interested in, both for myself, uh, but for my people and for the the collectives mm. that I work with, right? Like liberation, right? Like liberation from all kinds of bondage, even if those bondages are in your head. And so this kind of limiting belief work, yes, allows strategic work to happen, but it actually liberates people individually and collectively. And that feels like a bit of deeper work that we don't often, frankly, talk to clients about, but I believe to be true. Yeah. I don't think we talk to clients about it on the front end, but it's often the feedback we get. Mm. you know mm-hmm. where people will talk about that was one of the most significant periods of my life right that yeah that 18 months of work Absolutely. or even that leadership cohort i was part of mm-hmm. that was transformative for me i've never been part of something and it's because you know it's like you say that there's that phrase culture each strategy for lunch mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like how we behave with each other the beliefs we hold right are going to impact our ability to get the work done. So we have to examine, engage with them, right? So there's a strategic imperative to working with our beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we don't deal with them, they run the show, you know? Absolutely. But I like where you're, right? So there's just like, if you're not doing beliefs work, if you're not going deep in your work, I don't think you're going to see change. Mm-hmm. Simple as that, you know? Mm-hmm. You can do as much reorganizing and restructuring <laughs> and rebudgeting as you want. Yeah. None of it's going to lead to anything significant that's going to make any difference to anybody because people's beliefs will win. They'll conquer. Mm-hmm. And so so I think there is that. But I think you're taking it. I love where you're going because you're pushing it even further beyond that, you know, into um, uh, this is part of what sets us free, right? Yeah. This is part yeah. of what actually allows us to build more liberating structures in the world. Right. Right. That's and like, right. And that goes back to the core purpose of the outside, which is a society that serves all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Towards equity, systems change towards greater equity. That's right. You know? and, and so I think, I think there is that, you know, embedded in this work is that there has to be that personal journey, mm-hmm. right? I think there's just no getting around it. You know, I don't know any other way to do the work. And I don't know that it's how everyone enters the work. I mean, some folks are, you know, pretty excited about working with their limiting beliefs and working on their personal thoughts and thinking and behaviors and actions. And um, not everyone enters through that door. And I think that that's fine. I don't think it's linear. Uh, and I I do find uh, the more and more work we do, it doesn't have to be the first thing, but it has to be part of it. It just has to be part of it. Yeah. Right? Why are you smiling? I well, see. I was just thinking about one of the things you often give me shit about, you know, which is, uh, um, yeah, I have this one liner that I've used for way too long. You know what I mean? I could probably make t-shirts of it and just wear them around and not bother saying it, which is like the level of change you're willing to go through inside yourself, right? Is the level of change, um, that you'll see around you or that you'll be able to lead around you you know yeah and uh and 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 what i've always wanted to point to is that is the direct connection between the inner and outer world mm. 
Mm-hmm. Right, the change mm-hmm. that we're able to go through inside ourselves is directly relative to the level of change we're going to see around us. And like one of the things you've always done is kind of poke at that. And you know, you do Tuesday. If people who are listening to this <laughs> don't know Tuesday often does this thing where she's like, "Yes, and right, and <laughs> and so like every time I say that, you kind of do a yes and you know, which mm-hmm. is like which is like just reminding people not to get too attached to just the personal journey, right? This isn't about yeah. going off and disappearing into a cave and working on your limiting beliefs and expecting the world to change as a result. There's not right. a direct causal thing that happens between mm-hmm. oh i'm becoming more liberated inside myself and freeing my beliefs right and suddenly the world's magically a better place like it's not actually right. that causal it requires work in both areas right right and uh, you can't and, and just like you can't go fundamentally change the structure of an organization without doing the culture work right and expect that structure structure to lead to significant change in terms of deliverables or results or anything like that yeah and i do i mean i do, you know I, I well two things i love to poke at you but i also i do like that <laughs> <laughs> it's, do, true. Like the, it's true like it's true I, it's it's very true. I mean, you're yeah. one of my favorite people to poke because um, nice. you can handle it, right? And it's fun. And uh, it makes me laugh and, generally <laughs> and learn too. laugh and learn. I'll take it. I think the other piece about that is, um, again, the directionality. It's not only the causality, but the directionality. I think a lot of people like their circumstances change and it forces belief change. Mm. Right. So it's not, you know, it's not always like, you know, the change inside you know, I have to do that to get change outside. Sometimes like the change outside is happening and that's going to change me inside. It just feels so reciprocal and connected that the linearity of it is hard for me. Uh, But that doesn't mean in any way that I don't believe wholly that we must work with our beliefs. I just believe that wholly. I don't know any other way that change is going to happen. Yeah. Um, And and I know, and to quote one of your quotable mantras, which is like, (laughs) all levels all the time, right? I mean, you say that all the time to people. Like, You can't just choose what level you're going in here. You can't go in at the level of, if you're actually seeking systems change towards greater equity, if you're trying to build a society that serves all, which the people we're working with are seeking to do that one practical step at a time, right? Like Mm. if you're seeking to do that, you have to be ready to work at a personal level. You have to be ready to work at a team level, an organizational level, uh, kind of a contextual and societal level, a structural level, right? You have to be able to operate and think at all of those different levels because change is happening at all those levels all the time anyway. So we've actually got to begin to work for it And, and on some level design for it. Right, right. Like design, exactly. actually, good design is thinking through the impact on all of those levels and trying to create some kind of container where we're not going to get stuck. And you know, so much of That's our right. work, so much of our work is about getting people unstuck and getting groups unstuck, so they can just keep moving. So they can just keep moving. And um, and beliefs is one of the vortexes, right? Can we can we just like lay down a few? I was actually going to say like I'd love for us to lay down some of the the limiting beliefs we yeah. encounter a lot in our work. Yeah, and then I'd love for us to also like I think it'd be cool for each of us to own a limiting belief that we just kind of like we struggle with well, or we're the, aware on the podcast of. like live. Yeah, on the yeah uh huh mm-hmm. right. yep. Okay, so, so we should do that with our clients first, and then we'll. <laughs> Do you think that's only fair? Like I if we're going to say like no, other I... people have these beliefs? Yeah, sure. Um, Let's do it. So I think a limiting belief that we encounter a lot in our projects 
is um, they don't care about it like we do. Mm-hmm. Like people somehow kind of um, can feel their own care and commitment, but um, can be really suspect of other folks' care and commitment to the same topic if they're not in the same department or the same organization or have the same kind of philosophy or have the same uh, analysis. There's a sense of like, well, then that means they don't care and they're not committed. And so in our kind of multi-stakeholder work, that's a big deal to have that limiting belief that they don't they don't care about it like we do or they're not committed like we are. I mean, that's a really big stumbling block. Yeah, and that leads I, to people. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, just that there's you know un- underneath that is a lot of superiority stuff, right? Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not as simple as like they don't get it. There's also some stuff in there that I, I find people have to own around their own sense of like I'm actually slightly better than them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's an un because I actually think because I think some of the beliefs are really interesting like like I'm not powerful enough yep I don't have enough power I don't have enough leverage I don't have enough whether it you, you know I think that's another one and I think just as dangerous is like I'm important ah mm, uh, yeah I'm important good this is important work this is the most important work and like we're the most important player or like or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what's underneath it. Mm-hmm. Of course. And that's the thing with the beliefs, right? Like there's a belief, there's a belief that uh, might be spoken. And then there's like all the assumptions and beliefs underneath it. That's right. Yeah. Is it Indra's what net or something we- like that? That like isn't that isn't that like a story of a you know, here I am doing a bad job of quoting something important again. But like it's this story of like a spider's web and you flick water on it and then you can see this whole spider's web, right? And it's like, and it's mm. like, you, you know, limiting beliefs are like that. Like there's yeah. there's usually like a, an interconnected cluster that you have to work with, <laughs> right? That, uh, so it's not as simple as, oh, all right, you know. And, and, it is, and it's also that if you do limiting beliefs work with groups, you don't do that work and they're gone. Like what you do, <laughs> what you do right. is you raise the consciousness of it. Right. right. And so we'll often do, we'll often do kind of physical work as part of our limiting beliefs. We'll bring in some, you know, forum theater or we'll do some Augusta Boal activities where people, you know, get into things together. And as a result, they get to examine how they interact and what are the beliefs that inform their interactions. And it's not at the end of that, that they're like, oh, great. Well, we can just let that go then and be exactly how we want to be. <laughs> You know, exactly. right? Woof, oh, good. that was nice. Right, burn them, burn them, <laughs> burn them in the fire. Be a new person, right? No, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot more like, oh, what this does is raise our consciousness. What this does is raise our ability to choose, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be really great if we had a process that just got rid of them. Mm-hmm. 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 And I think we do. It just happens over an extended <laughs> period of time. Do you think? So I do. Yeah. No, I do. I do. Just, I just think, I, I think that in the world of consultants and change, there's a large attachment to epiphany that like, we get people together and they have like moments yeah. of like absolute stunning epiphany, and then everybody just goes back to work as usual, <laughs> you know. And like, and like, <laughs> and like, I've been part of that, and I've spent time doing that, and 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 it just feels like that isn't change, you know. Like my, no, you know, my, it's not. my brother used to talk about the difference between states and stages, which is from some theory that I don't know much about. Maybe you do. It might be a psychological one, but like, you can get into a state of clarity where you see things differently, but that doesn't mean you've changed. You've just experienced a right. state, you know. But there's actually right. stages you have to move through to go through some kind of 
transformation. And that takes time and that takes work. And that's why, you know, when we're working with clients, you know, the foundation stage can be a year and a half. The development stage can be six months. Yeah. The shared work stage can be two to five years, right? The capacity, right? And so it's, yeah. so, so I think, you know, I think a lot of the beliefs we're working with are held by organizations or communities or across whole regions, you know, as much as they're yeah. held by individuals and they take time to shift, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, they're slippery mm -hmm. too. They take, so that's why when you said, I think we do change things, it's like, oh, do we? Because part of what I find in my own personal work is that, um, you know, get to a belief and I'm like, yeah, I've like really worked that one. And then like, oh, it comes back in a, a slightly different form or a little different shape or a little different, you know. So there's something that's actually quite slippery about these beliefs, right? Like, you know, it's kind of like your mind banishes one version and another little, you know, another little um, sliver, it comes back. So I think that, you know, one of the key limiting beliefs we work with in our work is that people don't believe they can make change. Yeah. They want to believe it, but they don't actually believe that it can happen. And so I feel like that's like one of the major ones possible. we work on. Like, you know, I, it, it's, I, I yeah, can, it's not Obviously, possible. it's necessary. But like, you know what? Yes. It's, it, it's just not. The, the situation is too complex. It's too overwhelming. The power is too much. Too, it's too located in one single place with one single player or one single family or one single, you know, constituent. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's a yeah. major one. I think that's a major one. I think... One of the things we've noticed is that limiting beliefs turn up often um, in in uh, the kind of principles of of our of the kind of projects and initiatives and individuals we work with. There, you know, and we'll do principles work with groups, right? Yeah, yeah. Where we're naming, like, here are some of the ways that we agree about how we're going to work together, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. and so I think one of the ways we work with limiting beliefs is actually helping people surface how they would like to work going forward. What the limiting beliefs are, what these principles are, are conversations to come back to again and again and again and again and again, right? And I find there's certain limiting. So if I think about limiting beliefs, I have like one of my foundational limiting beliefs is I'm not good enough right like it's a foundational mm -hmm. limiting belief to my character to my drive mm -hmm. to my mm -hmm. sense of humor like it mm -hmm. is you know and there's all kinds of reasons that i'm gonna have understood at different levels of my growth around why i carry that limiting belief yeah. i'm never gonna not have it i'm gonna live with it yeah. my whole life you know and uh and there's enormous yeah. gifts of it and there's enormous you know uh painful shards that are attached to it right but uh, but what I find is the longer I live with it, the better I get at navigating it, right? So, yeah. you know, when you were talking about being able to, it comes back again and again and again. My experience is the, every time they come back, I'm actually just like slightly better at like coming back to myself in the midst of it, you know? It's almost like, mm -hmm. so, so there's something about mm -hmm. that. And, and I feel like this work of cracking principles, this work of naming limiting beliefs so people can work with them consciously so they're not like unconscious players and drivers in the work is about people being able to come back to these things again and again and stay in conversation yeah. around them. It's actually not about dismissing them. It's not about letting them go. Right. It's not about sending right. them up in spoke, you know. It's actually about being in mm -hmm. relationship with them over time. I have to be in relationship with my fundamental belief of I'm not good enough because if I'm not in relationship with it, I'm not in relationship with a very core part of me, right? And that, and that would be right. true of 
the beliefs that are held within organizations I work within, you know, or within the multi-stakeholder groups we work with, the industry is collapsing, right? Or we're managing demise or, I mean, there's so many beliefs I think we're playing around with all the time. Go on, you've got that like, look like you're thinking. Oh, I just love that. I think that I I love that idea of it's not about dismissing, but kind of like, in some ways, it's almost like making friends with. Absolutely. When we're talking about like kind of deep, you know, core personal limiting beliefs, like making friends. Oh, there you yeah. are again. Hi. Hello. There. Yeah. Yep. Different outfit than last time, but you know. Exactly. And this is how I'm going to choose yeah. to live with you this time. <laughs> Right, you know what I mean, and like, like this is. So you come, come to on. peace. You you you, f- you come to peace with these yeah. limiting beliefs again and again and right. again and again. You know, and that could be I don't trust you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. In terms of your 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 collaborating, I don't trust you. Yeah. I don't like you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna you're gonna undermine me at some point during this process. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I think there's a lot of the belief, you know, and it's like we actually they don't they don't disappear. We just get better at living with them. You know, like, yeah. Wow, that just feels like really deep to me. I'm thinking about like and how much, um, what are our core limiting beliefs, um, and how how much they impact how we perceive other people. So if I were to give, so you gave one of yours, so I'll give one of mine. So if one of my core mm. limiting beliefs is around taking up space and like the not deserving to take up space, right, or like kind of playing small and you know just like not wanting to kind of own any kind of space, like there's kind of something inherently that I don't deserve to take up space. So you can bet one of my big pet peeves is people take up a lot of space. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's just like, it's it's something that's about me, but like I just project then that to onto other people. Like, oh, they shouldn't be taking up space, right? Because I still at times struggle to take up space. And so it's so interesting, yeah. you know, the way that those beliefs can work in you. And, you know, I mean, and people might laugh, here I am on a podcast <laughs> talking every week. And, you know, I'm in front of rooms. <laughs> All the time, <laughs> taking up plenty of GD space, right? Um, so, you know, it might not seem obvious to people. And of course, then, like you said, it's like, because I've worked with it. And, you know, I kind of like, oh, there you go. Here you go shrinking again. Or, you know, like, that's what it looks like today. Um, but it's so interesting that when we don't know what our own beliefs are, we just get all tripped up in our own mm-hmm. behavior. But we also get tripped up in our perception of others. Right. We don't even mm-hmm. know that like the reason I'm reacting to that person taking up space is because of my own kind of feelings around taking up space and my own limiting beliefs. So it's like it's like we have work to do for ourselves and our own action. But we also it just it like it's like glasses that um, obscure your vision. Right. And it's, it, totally. it's how you see the world, too. Uh, when when we had the company in the in the Netherlands um, with uh, with Arjen and Peter Engage Interact, we used to you know early on we used to run these sessions, and I lived in this kind of community house of thirty two people. It was all young professionals. We had our own rooms and shared kitchens, but the house had a chapel in it. It used to, I think it used to be a Benedictine monastery or something, the Labra House in Utrecht, and uh, um, and so we used to run programs in this um, in in this uh, kind of old chapel. Right, and it was cool. It's a cool space, little garden out back, and uh, and Margaret Wheatley came in a few times mm. to help us out, and she didn't. She was amazing. She was a, you know, yeah. she was a mentor of mine in that period, and she'd come in for free. And I never forget we'd done this program, and we'd had like you know, it must have been forty people there from all over Europe, um, who had come in for this program. You know, Meg was running it, you know, speaking at it, and Engage was hosting it. It's pretty intimate space, and we'd done the check in, you know, and it had gone round. Everyone had had a chance to speak in the opening, and I remember just being like 
what a bunch of hippie bullshit, you know. Jesus, we're never going to get anywhere. God, what are we even <laughs> doing this program for? Oh, yeah. Like, I was just like, I was oh, like, all whoa. the judgments were like fly. I was just like so disappointed. I'd been looking oh. forward to this program so much, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was so disappointed by the check-in. And Meg just like nailed me to the wall. She was like, well, you know, I often find the things that are most annoying in other people are the things that I dislike most about myself. <laughs> oh, right. And I was just like, oh, God, 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 oh, ouch. Ow. But it just, I just, it's just always stuck with me. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just, it, it's what you're saying yeah. you know, is this sense of projection, you know, exactly. all that was happening was that I was seeing something in myself that I hadn't found some peace with or some love for or some comfort with, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and it wasn't reflective of the room in any way. They were like, you know, you know, senior leaders from the corporate sector in that room and incredible people. And mm-hmm. and uh, the program went amazingly. And it was a good, that moment was a good teacher for me, you know. So have you got a song for us today? So I was thinking as we were talking about limiting beliefs uh, about like who are the artists that have blown my thinking open? And for sure, I mean, like without a doubt, the artist more than any anybody else in the world that blew my thinking open was Prince. I mean, I just oh, everything, everything about him. So um, I'm going to pick the song Little Red Corvette specifically because I remember seeing that video for the first time and he's dancing on stage in high heels and a bikini and a long jacket. And it just like as a kid, it was like <gasps> men can nice. wear Biki- like heels and bikinis and what's even he had makeup on it's like what is even happening here right like my mind couldn't even quite understand but I loved the music right and it was like the beginning of like my whole world opening around gender and power and sex even at that young age right like it just like just blew me open Love it. So, that's that's my song this week. Old incredible. school. Prince is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Well, I'm going to throw a poem into the mix to close out the podcast. Nice. And I'm going back to Lem Sisse again just because I found this book and I'm just like loving reading his poetry again. Mm. It's like revisiting, you know, an old, an old friend, these poems, or old friends actually because the poems feel like friends it's the book listener by lem sisse uh we'll put it in the uh in the podcast notes this one is called uh, elephant in the room and it just seems right on target for the topic we've been on today it isn't what's said it's what not said what says it all the day you brought it home i'll never forget it was only seven foot tall then an elephant i said put it in the backyard fine you said fine and a disgruntled tied it to the washing line. As you slept, I'd pull back the curtains, stand by the window and watch it. A dark shadow, an iceberg, a hump filled the backyard, (laughs) rising and falling with each deep, gentle snore. Breakfasts were never the same again. The elephant took up all the space and had no table manners whatsoever, although it was useful for the washing up. Whenever I broached the subject, you'd rant and rave and fume, saying I was going crazy. There is no elephant in the room. But the saddest thing is not the crockery it smashed, 
nor the walls it demolished of our past. It wasn't its footsteps stamped all over our home, the cracked floorboards, or its want to roam. It was the lie established after I said, It's there! For years you looked at me and said, Where, dear? Where? Love that. Yeah. You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. We're so glad you joined us. We'll come out every other Tuesday. Please listen for us on any place you get podcasts. Uh, we'll be there. Please tell your friends. Just a quick tell thank your friends. You. Have them tell their friends. <laughs> yes. Tell everyone. <laughs> tell everyone. Um, just a quick thank you to Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studios and Gary Blakemore, who provided the music for us. Magic. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs> <laughs>